newly discovered chapter in the book of Genesis has provided the answer to, where do pets come from? Adam said, Lord, when I was in the garden, you walked with me every day. Now I don't see you anymore. I am lonesome here, and it's difficult for me to remember how much you love me. And God said, no problem. I'll create a companion for you that will be with you forever and who will be a reflection of my love for you so that you will love me even when you cannot see me. Regardless of how selfish or childish or unlovable you may be, this new companion will accept you as you are and will love you as I do in spite of yourself. And God created a new animal to be a companion for Adam. And it was a good animal. And God was pleased, and the new animal was pleased to be with Adam, and he wagged his tail. And Adam said, Lord, I've already named all the animals in the kingdom, and I cannot think of a name for this new animal. And God said, No problem, because I have created this new animal to be a reflection of my love for you. His name will be a reflection of my own name, and you will call him Dog. And Dog lived with Adam, and was a companion to him, and loved him. And Adam was comforted, and God was pleased, and Dog was content and wagged his tail. After a while, it came to pass that Adam's guardian angel came to the Lord and said, Lord, Adam has become filled with pride. He struts and preens like a peacock, and he believes he is worthy of adoration. Dog has indeed taught him that he is loved, but perhaps too well. And the Lord said, No problem. I'll create for him a companion who will be with him forever and who will see him as he is. The companion will remind him of his limitations so that he will know that he is not always worthy of adoration. And God created Cat to be a companion to Adam. And Cat would not obey Adam. And when Adam gazed into Cat's eyes, he was reminded that he too, or that he was not the supreme being. And Adam learned humility. And God was pleased, and Adam was greatly improved, and Dog was happy, and Cat didn't give a hoot one way or the other. Well, this summer we're doing a preaching series on knowing God, and we want to understand more of who the persons of God are. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the goal is that we would pursue him more and also the purposes that he has for each one of us. And last week, uh, Pastor Peter Todd, he kicked off the series here at South Osborne looking at God as the Father, and he showed us that he's actually an intimate God, and he desires to have intimacy with all of his children, and he longs for us to call him Father. And this morning, I want to continue to look at God as the Father but more specifically as the creator. John Piper said the following when he reflected on creation and the one who created it. He said, I marvel that God, who is spirit and cannot be seen or touched, would make an ocean of physical reality that smells and shines and feels and tastes and sounds. But he also said, one of the greatest tragedies of growing up is that we get used to things. He was referring specifically to the immense loss that occurs when we get used to the created world that surrounds us. 
See, there's so much beauty and wonder in this created world. And if we would look at it with fresh eyes, we would actually marvel at the one who created it all. But have you ever stopped to think, why did God create the heavens and the earth? Well, I want to attempt to answer that question this morning with two answers. Uh, There's probably several answers, but I just have two for you this morning. And I've titled my message, The Father's Pleasure in Creation. The first reason as to why God created the heavens and the earth is actually found in the title. He did it because it was for his pleasure. If we look at the uh, creation story in Genesis 1, we see five separate instances where God created something and saw that it was good. The first instance actually doesn't happen until the third day. And God, like any artist, he starts off with a blank canvas, and his canvas is black. So on the first day, he creates light. But he still just has this round sphere of water to work with. So he separates the water from above and the water from below, and he creates the sky. It's not until the third day that God's creative juices really start to flow. He gathers the water, water on the earth into distinct areas, and he calls them seas. And when that happens, the dry drowned appears, and he calls it land. There's probably mountains and valleys and hills and plains. And it's at this point in verse 10 where he says, And God saw that it was good. There's an indication that God is pleased with what he's creating. I had a chat with Andrea Atkinson about a month ago. Andrea is a very gifted artist. She's actually painted uh, the paintings that hang in the sanctuary here. Uh, She's also a very gifted artist teacher at the King's School, and I'm always amazed every year at, at what she's able to draw out of the students from their artistic abilities. And I asked her, when an artist is creating something that has various stages in it, Do they stop at each phase and kind of take a step back and look at it and say it's good before they move on to the next phase of the creation? And she said, yeah, yeah, that's basically what will happen. And so uh, that's the picture that comes to mind here with God. He has a master plan of how this is all going to look. But at this point in time, he kind of takes a step back, looks at what he's created, and says it's good. So the same day, he creates all the vegetation, all the plants, the trees, and then again, he stops, and it's good. The fourth day comes, he creates the sun, the moon, and the stars, and in verse 18, God looks, it's good. The fifth day, he creates all the living creatures in the sea and the birds. He stops again, it's good. The sixth and final day of creating comes, And he creates every living creature on the ground. And verse 25 says, God looks, it's good. And with that, he has one final creation left. He's saving the best for last. You know, it's summertime. And in summertime, we have all the fresh fruit. And fresh fruit means fresh pie. And I love pie. But when we eat pie, I always tell my kids, 
Eat the crust first, because you can't leave the crust. You have to eat it. So to eat it at the end is kind of anticlimactic. So get it out of the way, and this way you can savor the best part of the pie for last. And that's kind of what I feel like God's doing here. He's saving his best creation for last. He's going to create something in his own image, in his own likeness. And he's going to let this creation rule over everything else that he just created. And in verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And when God finished creating man, verse 31 says, God saw all that he made, and it was very good. It wasn't just good anymore. Now, it's very good. See, there's a pleasure that comes from creating something that is very good. And God took great pleasure in creating the heavens and the earth. Every one of us has created something in our lives. And when we create something that's really good, it gives us joy, it gives us pleasure. I got a couple of uh, illustrations for you. Got a picture here that I want to show you. I don't know how good you can see it. This is a picture of my daughter, Michelle, when she was about four years old. She was lying in her bed sleeping one night, and so we took a picture of her. Except what you see here is not actually a photo. It's a drawing of the same picture. Ivy commissioned her niece, who's a very gifted artist, but she's never had any training. She's just all self-taught. And she asked if she would draw this picture. And so she took the photo and she drew it, and the only medium that she used was charcoal. The detail on this picture is incredible. And when she created that, it gave her a lot of pleasure to give it to Ivy so that Ivy could give it to me. And it gives me a lot of pleasure because it hangs in my office and I get to look at it every day when I'm at work. And I really, really enjoy that picture a lot. Another example, my brother-in-law Colin, who's here this morning, uh, he began wood turning a few years ago. And he can take a piece of wood like that, it's a piece of birch, and he can turn it into that. Literally, turn it into that. When he creates something that nice, it gives him a lot of pleasure. My other brother-in-law, Terry, who's also here this morning, he too has created some very cool things around their house. Here's just one of the creations. He took this piece of uh, willow diamond driftwood. He found it on the shores of uh, one of the rivers. And he turned it into a lamp that sits in their living room. The color and the detail of this is, is extraordinary. And again when he got to the end, it gave him a lot of pleasure to create that. I tried my hand at uh, woodworking also. <laughs> 16 years ago, I attempted to create a uh, potato and onion bin. After 16 years, this is what it looks like. <laughs> Whenever I see that wood line around It doesn't actually give me a lot of pleasure. It doesn't give Ivy a lot of pleasure either. 
point is, there's pleasure that comes when you create something that's very good. And when God created you, it gave him a great amount of pleasure. And I want this truth to go deep within you today because the world we live in tells us that we aren't good enough. We're either too tall or too short, we're too skinny, we're too fat, we're too this, we're too that. The list goes on and on. And we try to fit into this ideal of what the world has for us. Maybe some of you here today, you never had your father's approval. Maybe you've lived with the thought you were a mistake, or an oops, or just an accident. But you weren't. Maybe you think you're the potato bin of life. You just don't fit together. That's the problem with that potato bin. It's all cut, but it doesn't fit together. But God says, I made you in my image, and I took pleasure in creating you. Listen to what Psalm 139 says. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You are a precious creation of God the Father. You were wonderfully made by God, and you weren't an accident. He knew everything about you long before Genesis 1-1 ever happened. You were meant to be here, and God has a purpose for you. And that's why he created you, and he did so with pleasure. Revelation 4.11 in the King James Version says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you have created all things, and for your pleasure they are and were created. One reason why God created the heavens and the earth and you was for his pleasure. The second reason God created the heavens and the earth was for his praise. Fifty years ago, there was an event that would have a significant impact on mankind. It'd be the culmination or the pinnacle of the Apollo space program. Apollo 11 space flight would be the first time that man would land on the moon. On July 20th, 1969, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin walked on the moon and those famous words were spoken. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. In fact, in 13 days from today, there's going to be a celebration marking the 50th anniversary of the day that they actually walked on their moon. And while Apollo 11 was certainly the most famous of the Apollo missions, another mission, Apollo 8, would also be a first for man. Its mission was to circle the moon and then return to Earth. But in doing so, it would be the first time that man would leave uh, the Earth's orbit. And it would also be the first time that man would see the dark side of the moon. 
And the purpose was to take pictures of the moon so NASA could figure out where would be the best place for Apollo 11 to land. And they would actually circle the moon 10 times in a 24-hour period. And the mission would last a total of six days from December 21st, 1968 to December 27th. But the 24-hour period when they were going to circle the moon would happen on Christmas Eve. An estimated 1 billion people from 64 different countries tuned in to watch the Apollo 8 mission on Christmas Eve. More people actually watched Apollo 8 mission than they did the Apollo 11 mission. And when they orbited, orbited the moon for the first time, another first was about to happen. One of the astronauts, William Anders, he was busy taking pictures of the moon's surface when all of a sudden, off the horizon of the moon, he saw this spectacular blue planet off into the distance. It was the first time that man would see Earth from space. Here's a picture of what it looks like. That's the first picture he took with his camera. NASA knew this, this event was going to happen, and so they told the astronauts to say something appropriate. So it was at this moment on December 24th, 1968, that these three astronauts, Frank Borman, Jim Lavelle, and William Anders, stopped their work and did what they thought was the most appropriate thing to do. With a viewing audience of one billion people, these three men read the first ten verses of Genesis 1. Have a listen. from a distance fueled worship in these men. 
And reading the creation story was their way of praising God for his incredible creation. Because God created the heavens and the earth for his praise. Every year, my family and I, we look forward to camping. We like getting away from the routine of life and getting into the great outdoors. And one of our favorite spots to go camping is the Kananaskis region of the Rocky Mountains. And the campground that we always stay at is called the Mount Kidd RV Park. And we always choose a spot in the same loop because there's a lot of tall uh, lodgepole pine trees that surround the campsite. One of the things I look forward to doing when we go there is I like to walk out of the camp's site into the middle of the campground. It's a big open area. And when you walk out of the camp into that open area, you're standing in front of this mountain. And on a clear blue sky day, I just love to stare at this mountain just long enough for all the beauty to soak in. And as it does, praise for the Creator begins to well up in me because God created the heavens and the earth for his praise. The NIV Bible has the word praise in it 340 times, and about 175 of those are found in the book of Psalms. In fact, the theme of Psalm 148 is all about God's creation praising him. Let me read you a few verses. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great great sea creatures and all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, young men and women, old men and children. Let them Praise the name of the Lord. The picture is the cosmos as a choir singing praises to God. This morning when Lindsay and the worship team led us in prayer, or in uh, worship, she's actually only leading a small portion of this choir singing praises to God. And notice what's in the choir. Angels, planets and stars, the clouds, the weather, including snow. Around here, we don't like snow very much, but it's praising God. Some winters, there's a lot of praise that goes on around here. (laughs) There's also sea creatures, the ocean, trees, animals, birds, bugs and insects which includes that other thing around here we don't like very much, mosquitoes. You and I are part of one big choir praising God. And it would seem appropriate that the last verse of the last psalm, Psalm 150, 
says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. God created the heavens and the earth and you and me for his pleasure and also for his praise. Now we started off this morning in the book of Genesis, but I want to end this morning in the book of Revelation. Not just because I'm a linear thinker and you should start at the beginning and end at the end, but because Revelation also talks about creation. More specifically, a new creation that is still to come. You see, the first creation, the one that we're currently in, has been subjected to a certain order because sin entered this world through Adam and Eve. And because of sin, we experience separation from God, and we also experience death and decay and mourning and crying and pain. And this is the destructive result of sin entering this world that none of us can escape from. But in Revelation 21, it talks about a new creation. The Apostle John was given a vision, and he says in verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. He goes on to write in verse 3 that he hears a voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. God is once again going to create a new heaven and a new earth where he's going to live with his people. And verse 27 says, Nothing impure will ever enter it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's incredible to think of. You know, we have a paradigm of this world, but God's going to create a new world where none of the pain, none of the death or destruction or decay is ever going to exist. And I don't know about you, but I'm excited for that day to come. But my question to you this morning is, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? The Lamb is Jesus Christ, and it's his book of life. I said a moment ago that because of sin, we've been separated from God. None of us are worthy to have our names written in this book of life. But because Jesus came into this world... And he took my sin, and he took your sin upon the cross. He died, was buried, he ascended on the third day. We too, our relationship with God, the Father, has been restored. And Romans 10 says, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you, are, that you confess and are saved. That's why it's Jesus' book of life. He is the only way to a restored relationship with God the Father. 
And he's the only way that you can enjoy living in this new heaven and this new earth. In closing, I'll invite the uh, worship team to come forward. And as they do, I want to leave you with one simple application this morning. After all, it's summertime, so simple is good. We're at the beginning of summer, and here in Canada, that, that means getting outside and enjoying the weather and, and uh, the created world that God has made. So whether you're spending time in your yard or at the park, or maybe you have a cottage, or maybe you're going to travel this summer, I want to encourage you to let God's creation fuel your worship of him. Take time to look at his creation with fresh eyes so you, like John Piper, can marvel at the one who created it all. It gave God great pleasure to create this world and to create you specifically. And he created this world and he created you to praise him.